how are we this morning? Well, I have, um, I have been uh, over at the Moolap congregation this morning. Normally I alternate between uh, our two locations, um, the uh, Moolap and, and here in Heighton. Um, today I'm doing all three for various reasons. Um, so we had a great morning at Moolah, absolutely packed there. It's just so great to see um, how God's working in the midst uh, of, of the congregation there. And um, it's, always, it's always great to, uh, it's always great to you know, connect with, with the variety of our church and the various different ways in which we meet. It's just, it's a wonderful part of church life. So if you're visiting, my name's Matt, part of the team here. It's great to have you with us for the last uh, little while and probably over the next few months, uh, I'm, I'm going to be focusing on the big picture, I guess, of our lives, like a biblical version of reality, really, very much in contrast with what the, the, the way in which our culture really has constructed, or in, in some senses I'm going to talk about today, flattened our reality. It's we, we have this experience, I think, particularly living as Christians in the world where, and I've said this before, where we can believe individual things and we, we, we have individual Christian beliefs and we know various parts of Scripture, and yet we don't quite construct that into a sort of coherent way of thinking and seeing life generally, you know, kind of big picture. And I guess what I want to try to do is to help you, is to help shape that big picture in a really biblical way. And I do this partly because of the cultural pressure, actually, that comes in our environment, the way that our culture actually shapes the way that we think. I think we, you know, part of this is actually teaching us to be critical of that, to think critically about that and to be intentional about adopting a biblical way of thinking. Now, one of the things that our culture has done is that it has flattened reality down in a sense. It it's, it's, teaches us that there's only the here and now and this is all there is and there's nothing, there's nothing else to reality than just this sort of material reality that we're in. That's a kind of cultural thing. Now, interestingly, in, as, as most of you know, I'm a part-time pastor here at One Hope Church and the other part of my time, uh, I'm a lecturer in philosophy. And, and one of the things that, uh, that I recognise is that this is this cultural um, sort of trend of just acknowledging only the here and now and there's nothing but the material world actually is not, that trend actually isn't reflected in philosophy. Most philosophers, and I'm talking about secular philosophers, actually recognise now that that's a completely untenable way. It's just completely unjustifiable. You just can't close reality down that much. And, but, but we have closed reality down. For just, just a couple of footnotes um, and, and I'll get the academic stuff out of the way really, uh, really quickly. But I know there's some of you that probably uh, need to, to uh, maybe look into some of that stuff. And if you, if you are, there's a, there's, there was a book published in um, uh, 20, uh, 2010 by Oxford University, Oxford University Press called The Waning of Materialism. And it's a whole bunch of philosoph secular philosophers explaining why that materialistic world view is just not tenable anymore. That, 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 that's actually on the way out. And particularly in the light of discoveries of quantum physics and, and so forth. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a history of, a great history, again, it's a secular, uh, secular book, H history of um, 
modern science in the 20th century, and I love the title. The title is From Certainty to Uncertainty, A History of Science in the 20th Century. And, and I think that's, that's very telling because we've discovered that reality is a lot stranger than we ever thought it was. And there are a whole lot of dimensions and elements to reality that, uh, that we, we just can't kind of box up the way that we wanted to in classical kind of Newtonian science. Anyway, uh, there is a YouTube lecture that goes for 45 minutes that summarises that in a fairly similar way because the book's fairly dense. Um, the Waning of Materialism. So if you're interested, go to YouTube, like all true researchers do. Uh, the Waning of Materialism, it's a really interesting summary of what's happened uh, in, in terms of this, this sort of the breaking down of this worldview. That's the academic bit. Everyone okay? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but we've been duped. We've been absolutely duped. Not only that, but we have been conditioned by our culture to become desensitized to the bigger reality in the midst of which we live our everyday lives. We've actually been desensitized because our world has been, and uh, as, as Max Weber, uh, the, the famous sociologist put it, we, we have disenchanted our world. This is, the, this, is, this is where we've got to now. And by that, he means we've completely desacralized our world. The world is just full of objects, object, 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 right? It's just objects, nothing sacred anymore. There is no sacred element to anything. And that is the biggest tragedy because you are absolutely sacred because God created this world to be a temple of His presence where He would live in harmony with us. But we've desacralized the world, nothing sacred there. We've, we've desacralized ourselves and we've flattened reality down, and it's all just objects to be used for our gratification. And when it comes to that, that actually is an abuse of something sacred. It's a terrible desecration because so much about life is sacred. You are sacred. We live in a sacred world, but we have been so desensitized and the, the, it's the, the interesting, I have this interesting experience now when, when I read and, and I continually read through uh, the Bible, I, I have this experience of a kind of culture shock. And it's interesting, the feedback that I get of people reading through, so if, 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 you, uh, if you're following the Thrive Reading Guide, or not, I know not everyone does and that's fine, but I know a lot of you, a lot of you do and we provide that as a church as a way of, because we do encourage you to read through the Bible constantly. And this is one of the reasons why we need to, because we have to sensitize, we have to actually open up our awareness again to, to the real reality. That's a weird expression, but anyway. 
And one of the, one of, and it's interesting, the feedback that I get, one of the things that I experience, even now when I read the Bible, being very aware of what our culture has done to our way of thinking and being very uh, aware of that, yet I still experience this culture shock when I read the Bible. And the feedback I get from people, even as, as um, folks have been reading through sort of 1 Corinthians and the New Testament, it seems like, oh, oh this just seems a bit not right, right? We experience a kind of culture shock. And I'd like, to, I'd like to read something to you this morning, um, a passage in Ephesians. And I, and I want, as I read this, I want you to not only listen to this, but I want you to feel this. I want you to feel what's happening here. And I want you to feel the way that this is working with a whole other dimension of life in, in mind, right? There's a whole other dimension of reality that, our, that our, our culture is kind of denied. And by the way, we are, I, I fully believe we are the most spiritually starved culture ever. I mean, we are spiritually starving. People, are, they don't always know it and they express it in lots of different, very dysfunctional ways. But people are spiritually starving and they actually need people who have the, the bread of life within them to just talk about it, right? Just to be open about it. Because when people even get, even get a sense of something deeper that they're so hungry for, I believe they will draw it out of you. We don't have to go around Bible bashing. Don't, don't, don't do that. We, we, we don't need to do that. We just need to be open about our faith because you are a window to the other dimension of life. You are a window to that other aspect of life. And it's your mission if you choose to accept it, to help people to understand that they are sacred temples of God. That's what they're created for, to be sacred temples of God. I mean, people these days get their identity just from the things that they want and desire. And I mean, it's just so terribly shallow and it's a tragedy. No wonder people treat each other like objects for their gratification. It's a terrible desecration of something absolutely sacred. And I want you to note as I read this passage, I'm gonna read a fair bit and I'm gonna emphasize certain bits. There's, I, want you to, I want you to note how Paul is constantly telling them you need to abandon this way of thinking. There's a whole way of thinking that you actually need to abandon, that, that, that keeps you in darkness, right? Because the world is always going to want to, is, the, world, the world system, I should say, is going to want to shut out this, this reality to you. And so you need to be intentional about keeping the doors to this reality open. So I'm gonna read Ephesians chapter four from verse 17 and notice how he's continually pointing to this other dimension. And in a moment, I tell you, this is exciting. In a moment, I've got another diagram. How good is that? Who loves a diagram? Oh, I've got another really good diagram this morning. It's all about the diagram. So uh, uh, you, that, that'll give you something to look forward to. But let's, let's, let's feel Let's feel what's going on in this passage in Ephesians chapter four. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. 
that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Okay, he's talking about people who, who have no regard for the things of God, right? And, and naturally what they're gonna do is narrow reality because they wanna be the gods of their own universe. And so you have to create a small enough universe over which it's possible for you to deceive yourself into thinking you're the God of. Did that just make sense? Yeah. So don't live like that. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It's not just an intellectual thing. This is willed recreation of reality. Because of the hardening of their hearts. Look at this, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity. I'm gonna be talking today at the practical end of this message. There's gonna be a practical end to this message, I promise. It's gonna be all about recovering our sensitivity because we've been desensitized, right? But the good news here is that God wants to resensitize us. Having lost, he says, all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, like the fake you that's the God of His own little universe, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God. Did you get that? Created to be like God, in God's likeness. This is the dignity of, of what it means to be a human being, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. He's, remember, I've talked a lot about purpose. He's always talking about purpose, right? It's not just about you. There's a bigger dimension. There's part of this bigger dimension. Look at verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why would he say that? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you are a sacred temple of the Holy Spirit. Because we together in the fullest sense, are a sacred temple. Of, it's, not, it's never just about you because you, you are a part of a sacred temple of God. The way that I live affects you and the way that you live affects me. Why? Because we're all members of the one sacred temple of God. Now there's a way of thinking that is just completely contradictory to our society. It says, well, it's all about you and you getting what you want. So no one else's business, da-da-da-da-da. You know how it works. No, no, that, but that, that's not reality. That's not what we're created for, right? 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We grieve the Holy... Sorry, I keep adding little bits here. But let, let me just say, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we... This is the ultimate way of grieving the Holy Spirit. Essentially, it's when you treat something that is holy and sacred as though it's not. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children of God and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality nor of any kind of impurity or of greed because they are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is idolater, is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For once you were inducted, I, 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 I feel how countercultural this is. I can feel how countercultural this is. Don't, don't tell me what, how, don't tell me what to do. You know, how, how dare you, you know, what you, you're not trying to shame me. No, 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 no. Even talking about these things just feels out of place in our culture. But of course we need to talk about these things. And I'm, I'm gonna explain a little bit in a, more, uh, in a moment why. For once, for you were once in darkness. Sorry, no, it says, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It's a great verse that. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing us towards something. He's pleading with us to become sensitive to something that we've lost our sensitivity to. Because what you value and what, what you pursue in life in a, in a way determines your reality. I feel like sometimes we're a little bit like, you know, once I, 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 you know, at the airport, you get those trolleys, you pay four bucks. It's like, four bucks for a trolley. It's like the biggest ripoff. It's ridiculous. Like four bucks for a trolley so I can take my luggage like 100 metres. Anyway, 
don't complain anymore about that. Anyway, once I got a trolley and, and I put all my luggage on it and the front wheel was like locked that way. You know, and I'm pushing this thing, it's like, like this the whole way. Like it's just, you know, it was just completely resistant. And, and I feel like we can live our lives that way because, because our hearts are so out of tune with reality that there's this dissonance, right? It's like God's trying to push us in that direction, but our wheel has turned the other way. Oh no, I'm, I, I want this and God's trying to push us this way, right? And so there's this kind of dissonance, there's this pain, in life, I mean, life is painful anyway, let alone having this as well, this kind of dissonance where, where, where our values and our expectations don't match God's values and expectations. And what this passage speaks powerfully is this is what God wants. He's saying, this is, this is what God wants. This is, how, this is how you are going to move forwards properly. Now, this is where I'm going to use... A diagram. I love a diagram. This is how we might illustrate the way that our culture depicts life. And it's what I'm going to call life on a single axis, right? And where, where we, plot, we plot ourselves on this single horizontal line, okay? So picture, if you're listening on podcast or on the radio, uh, picture single horizontal line. And up one end, pleasant, painful, sad. Up the other end, pleasant, enjoyable, happy. Now, when we think about moving forwards in life, like constructively, it's always along this one dimension, right? It's always away from what's unpleasant and painful and, you know, and we want to move towards the other end, right? That's called getting ahead in life. And most people are completely consumed with this, now, the interesting thing is, and, and I got, this is my diagram, but, I, but, but the idea was actually prompted by a secular book uh, um, by um, a social psychologist that I've mentioned before uh, called Stephen Haidt, uh, H-A-I-D-T, Stephen Haidt, uh, sorry, Jonathan Haidt, not Stephen, Jonathan Haidt, um, and it's called The Happiness Hypothesis. And it's really interesting what he says in this book, because he says, we live like this, right? I mean, he doesn't use this, uh, this diagram, but this is basically what he's saying. He says, we live in pursuit of what's pleasant, enjoyable and happy and so forth. But human beings are wired for something more than this. And he goes on, it's interesting because he's, you know, I, 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 he's, he's not a believer by any stretch of the imagination, but he goes on to show that, that recent research has confirmed the fact that human well-being actually depends on a whole other dimension that we don't acknowledge anymore in our culture. A kind of, if you call this, you know, one dimension, like this second dimension that we just don't acknowledge because this isn't reality, right? This is not reality. There is more to life than just that. And I'll depict it like this. This is life on a double axis. He says, we're actually, the, we are wired for what he refers to as elevation. It's not just about getting ahead in life. It's about moving upwards. Now, I mean, he gives his own account of what that, of what that means. But I think, you know, I think this is really interesting stuff. 
because this describes what we have shut out in our culture. And this is why we've shut it out, right? Because at the bottom of that axis lies an experience that we don't want to have. In fact, I would suggest that the experiences at the bottom of that vertical axis, so we now, we're now picturing a, a vertical axis as well as the horizontal axis, and at the top of the vertical axis is holiness, glory, purity, the sublime, the majestic. See, the human heart is created with a natural longing for these things because we are sacred temples of God, right? This is what we're created for. And our well-being, our very lives are dependent on what's at the top of that vertical axis. But at the bottom, and this is where we've fallen as human beings, we've fallen into a state of defilement where things that are sacred are treated as profane. We've become evil, debased, shameful, depraved in a sense. And do you feel, even as I say those words, do you feel how countercultural even those words are? Even saying those words out loud. And this is actually, this is something that's pointed out actually in this book, Happiness Hypothesis, by a social psychologist, non-Christian. See, what we did, because we didn't like those experiences down the bottom, of course we didn't, I mean, goodness me. I would suggest that's about as painful as it gets. And I know some of you here have, maybe even are experiencing those things down the bottom of that vertical axis. I mean, one of the problems in our culture is that we're not taught to even recognise those experiences. We're not given a framework to actually even validate what we're experiencing. So this is how our culture deals with those experiences because we don't, you know, we didn't want to feel defiled and profane and debased and we don't want to feel shameful. So do you know what we do? We get rid of the whole vertical axis. We got rid of the whole thing. Right, solve that problem. This is, basically, this is basically what Sigmund Freud did at the start of the 20th century. Right, we're gonna solve this problem. You know, people coming to him with, you know, suffering, you know, sense of shame and all, like, right, we'll just get rid of the whole axis. I mean, because what other way is there of solving this problem? I'm glad you asked. See, we didn't want to experience those things, but the answer is not desensitizing ourselves to the whole thing. That's what we do. We just desensitize ourselves to the whole thing. That's not the answer. The answer is that you need to let yourself feel what you feel because it's real because we have profaned what is holy. And we need to feel it. 
it so happens that God has done something about this. This is why God came to us in Jesus Christ to suffer and die on a cross, to take away our shame and our guilt, to lift us from this place. This is where Jesus meets us. And when he takes away that sense of, when he purifies what has been defiled, when he heals our innermost being, when he brings his forgiveness and his grace, we begin a journey. We, we, in one sense, we're made holy in terms of our status, but in another sense, God begins to elevate us. He takes us on a journey upwards. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Don't live any longer down the bottom. Don't live down the bottom anymore because you've been set free from that. You can find forgiveness, but you need to be willing to actually meet. This is where Jesus meets us. He meets us down the bottom of that. This is where God connects with us. He connects with us down the bottom of that. And then he begins a process of lifting us upwards. Now, again, our culture doesn't even really acknowledge this. I mean, no wonder people don't even understand. I don't get the whole thing about Jesus and why do we even need forgiveness? Like that's, people say that stuff because they don't have the framework to, what's it, you know, and they say, I mean, you know, people say dumb things like, well, you know, uh, if, it, if, no, if, if no one gets hurt, then there's nothing wrong with it. You've heard people say that, right? Because they're just thinking along that single horizontal axis. If no one gets hurt, there's no problem with it. What consenting adults do in the private, you know, if, as long as they enjoy it, there's no problem, right? Well, on a single horizontal axis, I guess, but that's not reality. Because there's this whole other dimension of life. And it's, there's a whole other dimension to who you are. And when you treat what is holy and sacred, and you are sacred, and even if two people consenting treat each other as objects for their own gratification, that is an abuse of something holy and sacred. And God cares about that so much. He cares about you so much. So much does He want to lift you up out of that place that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. God in the flesh so that you could be forgiven. See, I think you know what, it like, what it's like to carry guilt and shame. And even though our culture doesn't give us a framework in with which to even recognise us, one of the first things that the Holy Spirit wants to do, this is what Jesus said about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at this in John chapter 16. This is the first thing that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, he's going to restore that whole vertical axis. He's going to enable us to feel the wound. And that's going to precede his healing because he wants to bring us to healing. 
and he wants to lift us up and he wants to make us sensitive again. See, if you wanna be sensitive to the holiness of God, if you wanna be sensitive to the sacred, if you wanna be sensitive to the Spirit of God and not grieve God, then the journey begins. This is where the journey begins. Allow yourself to feel the pain of what's gone wrong. And let that drive you to the great healer of our souls, who is Jesus Christ. We have to allow ourselves time to feel this stuff. Time to allow, as Paul says, to allow the light of God to expose what needs to be exposed in, to, you know, to us in our own lives so that we can feel that. And so we can begin to long again for what we are made for, which is glory, majesty, and holiness. And I believe that when we as the people of God, when we pursue this, like we get on with embodying this. We're gonna stop talking about it and wagging the finger at the world, right? When we embody this and we begin to embody the glory and the majesty of God, when we begin to embody it, people are so hungry for this. You know, they are so hungry for this that they will, the slightest whiff of it in your life, they will draw it out of you. Because as I said, we are, our culture is starved of this. And if you will go on this journey and pursue this, pursue holiness and purity and pursue the glory of God and the light of God, then you will be a shining light in a very dark world. God's taking us on a journey and it's not just forwards. It may be that in order to move you to a place of holiness upwards, it may be that you go backwards on the other horizontal axis. It may be that you have experiences that are quite painful and you might think, man, I'm going backwards here, but God will say, no, no, it's not just about that one horizontal axis, I'm moving you upwards. And then you think, oh, okay, see, this is God's priority. It's not just about getting ahead in life and about life being as pleasant as it can possibly be. No, He's moving you upwards. This is good news, folks. We can be unlocked from this stuff. We can, be, we can get airborne again, spiritually airborne because of what Jesus has done in unlocking us from the bottom of that reality. Why don't we stand together? As we close today, I want to invite you to step into this journey. And maybe, maybe you've never even really made that step. Maybe you've never even received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. I wanna give you the opportunity and just a few quiet moments right now. I'm gonna get the music team to play. Just a few quiet moments 
to simply say yes to Jesus today, to say yes to Jesus. Maybe there's something that you're carrying. Maybe there is some shame or guilt that you're carrying and you need to get unlocked from that. And I can tell you that Jesus wants to meet you right there, that Jesus wants to come to you and He wants to unlock that off your life. Unconditionally. All you need to to do is recognise what the issue is and hand it over to Him. And He unlocks you from it. Do you need to be unlocked from something? Do you feel chained to the bottom of that vertical axis? Well, Jesus releases you today. Jesus releases you from that today. I'd like you to close your eyes, please. I'm gonna pray in a moment, but I just wanna ask you if there, if you feel that this is something that you, you particularly need to do this morning. I just want everyone to just close their eyes. If this is something you feel that you need to do this morning, particularly, that there's some stuff you need to get unlocked from. And I just want you to raise your hand just nice and quickly for me. Thank you. Thank you. As I pray, I want you to just keep that hand raised. Can you do that for me? Just keep that hand raised. Father in heaven, upon each person that reaches out to you today, we reach out to you, Jesus, and we call on your name. Lord, would you set us free? Let your grace pour down right now through every person that is reaching out to you right now. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, would you pour in your grace and forgiveness right now in Jesus' Name. Lord, for all of those with hands raised, we recognise that we have failed. We recognise, Lord, that we have fallen short and we call on the Name of Jesus for forgiveness and grace. And to all of those reaching out to Jesus right now, I can declare over your life in the Name of Jesus Christ that you are free from that shame, that you are free from that guilt. You are free right now in the Name of Jesus Christ. There is nothing left now on your record. You have a clean slate right now. And God says, you get the chance to start again with me. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would pour into the hearts of every person who is calling on your Name today. Pour into every heart by your Holy Spirit and restore us, Lord God. Restore us to be the sacred temples that you want us to be. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. We thank you for grace and forgiveness. You are so good, God. Thank you. Let's respond together.